But today is the final day in 2021. Uh, 2021 with its mix of joys and sorrows, goals met and goals missed, friendships gained, friendships lost is, is almost behind us. Some of us will say, thank the Lord. Um, others will say, well, what's ahead? Um, for many, New Year's is just another holiday. Uh, for others, it's a time of deep reflection, both on the past year and on the one ahead. But for followers of Jesus, New Year's really provides us an opportunity to, to really pause and to reflect on the, the new year, on the turning of this calendar. Remember in Psalm 90, Moses asks of the Lord, he says, Teach us to number our days so we may get a heart of wisdom. So time and days and minutes and seconds and hours, weeks and months and years, we know really is a gift from the Lord. And we need to use this time wisely to redeem the time that He has given to us. And of course, many people will be setting goals and resolutions for New Year. I wonder if you have set any New Year's resolutions already. But setting goals and setting New Year's resolutions can be helpful. It can be an important sign that we as believers are intentional about glorifying God in our callings, glorifying God in the work, in the business, in our home, in our church, in our private and public witness. But I wonder what resolutions have you made for 2022? What are the top three resolutions that are on your mind at the moment? One of mine is to read the Bible more regularly. Preachers can sometimes fall into the trap thinking that it's our job to read the Bible. And then we only read the Bible when we're actually studying the Bible. And this year I want to, I want to change it in my own personal life. You may have noticed in the WhatsApp group that I sent out a number of Bible reading plans that are designed to help you prioritize the reading of God's Word. We have put out in the foyer some, one Bible reading plan that you can keep as a bookmark in your, in your Bible. Please have a look at those. And I want to encourage you this morning to make Bible reading a top priority for this new year. And today that's what my message really is about. This is a once-off message from the Old Testament, from 2 Kings, about the importance of abiding in God's Word. If we want to abide in God, we need to abide in His Word. And that is the title of my message this morning, Abiding in God's Word from 2 Kings. So please do take your Bibles, and I'm going to read 2 Kings chapter 22, the full chapter, from verse 1 to 20, and then give a short explanation of what is happening here in this passage, and then some application for us for the, the new year ahead. Chapter 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of 
Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. If you have a pencil, please underline that in your Bible. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahiakam the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahiakam and Akbor and Shaphan and Isaiah went to Hilda the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, the keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the men who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place, and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes, and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace." And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Lord, we pray for your spirit please to teach us this morning as we go through this Old Testament story. We know, Lord, that you have recorded this um, event 
in history for us to learn from. We pray, Father, that we would learn from it this morning. We pray, Father, that your Spirit would open our ears, open our eyes, and open our hearts towards your Word for us today, for this new year. We pray that you help us to be doers of the Word, not just the hearers only. So we pray for your help today. I pray for your help as I preach. Lord, may none of your words fall to the ground today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a little bit of introduction and a little bit of background to what is happening here in this story. So Hilkiah here is the high priest uh, during the time that this temple is being renovated. And he announces to the scribe in verse 8, which I think is the key verse here for us, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. From this simple statement comes one of the most interesting happenings in the whole of the Old Testament. Not only did this discovery have significance back then, but it has significance for us now. And finding this lost book or rediscovering the Word of God is an especially appropriate message for us in the beginning of 2022. But let's look at context. Let's look at the backdrop to this story. King Josiah is mentioned there in verse 1. He is really the, the main king at this point in time. And he was born during really the darkest time in Israel's history. And for years the people were, were mixing pagan practices with their, their worship of God. They disregarded God's call to remain separate and distinct as we see throughout the book of Judges. Same thing here, same pattern happening here again. But during this time, pagan priests were brought in. The high priests, the Levite priests were, were pushed out and pagan priests were brought in. And offerings were made to Baal and offerings were made to other false gods instead of Jehovah in the temple. The people were turning to mediums, they were turning to spiritualists, they were looking to other people for guidance. And they brought idols into their homes, which they had made with their own hands, and made little shrines in their homes, which they would worship. The people were literally lost in their spiritual confusion. And then Josiah comes along, and he is made king when he's only eight years old. But once he becomes king, things start to change. Things start to become better. He reigns, we hear in the passage we read, for 31 years. Verse 2 tells us that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So he was a godly young man. A godly king. But things were bad. We need to understand. Things were bad before they got better. Unfortunately, Josiah inherited a kingdom that was reigned with violence. The temple of God was neglected. Josiah's father and Josiah's grandfather had heard the prophet's words, but they had rejected and rebelled against the prophets and against God, the God of their forefathers. 
If you're not familiar with the Old Testament or if you have read the Old Testament, let me remind you who Josiah's grandfather was. His grandfather was Manasseh, King Manasseh. He ruled for 55 years in Judah. Chapter 21 gives us more information about him. But he was the most disgusting and vile king that has ever reigned in Judah. During the reign of Manasseh, the nation was flooded with sexual immorality. It was flooded with idolatry. And the worship of Baal was restored in a land that was filled with sorcerers and mediums and star worshippers. Manasseh even sacrificed some of his own children to these false gods. 2 Kings chapter 21 verse 16 tells us, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Besides the sin that he had made Judah to sin, so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now remember, this is a real person, a real character. This is not fiction, this is not imagination, this is not Middle Earth. This is Israel. Manasseh was a king of Israel. He was a terrible, wicked man. But let's not forget about Josiah's father. That was his grandfather. Josiah's father was not much better than his grandfather. Josiah's father, Ammon, was not much better. Ammon's reign as a king was very brief, was much shorter. And Ammon followed in the footsteps of his father, Manasseh. And Ammon was assassinated shortly after he took the throne by his own palace servants. The people were tired of Manasseh's reign and were glad when he had died after 55 years on the throne. And his son Ammon didn't change anything. And the people were tired of it. And only after two years on the throne, his own servants killed him, assassinated him. And this is how this eight-year-old by the name of Josiah, the grandson of Manasseh, the son of Ammon, the boy king, now takes the throne. This was the spiritual, the spiritual heritage and the legacy that was left behind for him. But Josiah was not a victim of his circumstances. And I want us to see that clearly, folks. Josiah was not a victim of his circumstances. Josiah had been influenced by godly people. There were still prophets who were faithfully teaching the word of God, declaring the word of God. And he listened to these prophets. And around 621 BC, when Josiah was 26 years old, we see from the scriptures, this is the 18th year of his reign. So he is now 26 years old. He launches a program of national renewal that is centered on the temple that Solomon built, King Solomon. And the influence of godly people provoked Josiah to, to seek the Lord and to repair the temple. It was, in, it was in ruin. But while they are busy renovating this temple, an incredible discovery is found. And that's what we're going to look at. My first point this morning is in verse 8. Go find the book. 
This is the main verse, the key verse of this chapter, I believe. In verse 8 it says, Hilkiah the priest says to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the Lord in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So while the temple in Jerusalem is being repaired, the high priest finds this book of the Lord, says. So this book that the high priest found was either part of the book of Deuteronomy or it was the whole book of Deuteronomy. Remember, Deuteronomy was the book of the law that Moses had given to Israel from God himself. It had been lost under, I don't know, maybe a pile of stones. Maybe it had been put into some, some closet somewhere, in a chamber somewhere. But for years and years and years, it had not been read in the temple. It had not been read in the whole of Israel. Remember, they didn't have paper. It wasn't easy for people to read books. So important scrolls were kept in the temple where the priest would read them, especially scripture. But this discovery brought a dynamic response from Josiah. And this discovery of God's word brought about a national revival like Israel has never seen again. But before we go on, I want you to notice where this book of the law was found. It wasn't found in a cave. It wasn't wrapped in some, some earthenware or some vessel. It wasn't found in the ground, protected by some wooden box. The book of the law was found, where? In the temple. It was found in the temple. The word of God was not taken away from them and destroyed by some fire. It was where it always was. It was in the temple. Let me ask you a question before we, before we move on. How many Bibles do you have at home? You don't have to answer that aloud. How many Bibles do you have at home? And how often do you read these Bibles? Is the only time you read a Bible when it is displayed on the back of the screen at church? Now what place and what priority does the Bible have in your home, in your life? Is the Bible a manual for living? Or is your Bible stuffed with souvenirs? And is your Bible gathering dust somewhere in your home? The Bible is God's word to us. The Bible contains instructions and wisdom for our lives as human beings and as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is a book about God. It tells us who He is. The Bible tells us who we are. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It is profitable for correction. The Bible is profitable for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Spending time in God's Word is vital for us as believers. We cannot neglect God's Word 
and expect to know Him and enjoy Him. We cannot neglect His Word and expect to fully enjoy the fruit of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, not reading the Bible, I think, can indicate a sinful position in our heart. It can indicate laziness. It can indicate apathy in our, in our walk with the Lord. Now, I think we all know James chapter 4, verse 17. It tells us, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You know, for us who have easy access to the Bible, I think not reading the Bible is a sin of omission. But not only that, not reading the Bible may, may indicate a problem in our hearts. And as is true with any sin, it can become a deeper issue that is revealed in a later time in our, in our lives, which is harmful to us. But this leads to my second point. Look at verse 10. My second point, go read the book. In chapter 22, verse 10, Shaphan, the secretary, tells the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And it tells us, and Shaphan read it before the king. Remember, what, remember, Moses was the human author of these scriptures. Moses gave these scriptures to his successor, remember, Joshua. So somewhere between Joshua and Josiah, which is probably about 400 years, this book is lost. This book is lost. But now they have found the book. Hilkiah and Shaphan the scribe, they're so excited after reading the words found in the book that Shaphan brings this scroll to King Josiah. And what does he do? He reads it to the king. He reads it to the king. You know, it's not enough just having a Bible. It's not enough to simply have the Bible in our homes and not read it. We need to read it if we want to experience God's grace and God's joy in our lives. It's not enough to simply keep the book on a, on a coffee table, never opened and never read. It's not enough to keep the book on our nightstand, in our bedroom, never read. It's not enough to keep the book in, in, in our car, in our, in, our, in, our, in our cubby hole, wherever we keep them, and not read it. It's not enough. The Bible tells us the scribe was excited about this word of God that he found, that he takes the book to King Josiah and he reads the words of the law. But it tells us, after reading it, he becomes distraught. They take the, the book to the prophetess Hulda to find out exactly what these words mean. And they report it back to Josiah. And Josiah the king, he arranges for a meeting for all of the people at the temple. What does Josiah do with the, the book? Josiah reads the words of the law of Moses to all the people. Notice how the word of God is being read for the first time in hundreds of years. And he then makes a covenant to follow the Lord with all of his heart. And he demands that all of the people do the same. He demands a response 
from the people after reading the scriptures. He calls a nation to repentance. And God brings about and a revival amongst his people just because they found the book and they read the book. When they heard what it said, they repented of their sins and they turned back to the Lord. There's a story I read this week of Louis Le Amour. He's a famous writer of Western novels. But he wrote a short story that described a man who, who liked books. And the man was noticed acting suspiciously as he perused the shelves in a library. He took down a leather-bound copy of Shakespeare's King Lear and he ran his fingers gently over the cover. He opened the book and he felt the pages and then he suddenly took the book and put it under his coat and bolted out the door. And someone who had been watching him ran after the thief and stopped him. And the man willingly surrendered the book and then he explained that all his life he had loved books. But he had never learned to read. So he would come to the library just to hold the books. He loved the way that they felt in his hands. And that's why he had stolen Shakespeare. And I think some people are, are like this when it comes to their Bibles. They enjoy the feel of the, the leather-bound Bible on the outside as they carry the Bible to church. They love the smell of the pages when they flip through it. But they never really read the Bible. That's a terrible shame. We need to read the book, but we also need to obey the book. Look at verse 11 to verse 13. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahiakim the son of Shaphan and Akbar the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary of Isaiah the king's servant saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. Our fathers have not done according to all that is written concerning us. When Shaphan the scribe reads the scriptures to King Josiah, he realizes the, the calamity that had come upon God's people was rooted in their disobedience. God's people were disobedient because they didn't obey the word of God, because they didn't read the word of God. Once they knew the truth, we see what happens. They start to act differently. They found the book, they read the book, and most importantly we see they start to obey the book. God requires obedience from His children. It's no good just having a dusty book on our shelves. It needs to be read. John MacArthur in his book, Our Sufficiency in Christ, he shares a story of Homer and Langley Collier. They were sons of a respected New York doctor. And both studied at Columbia University. Homer earned his degree in law and Langley became an accomplished engineer and a concert pianist. But when their parents both died in the 1920s, the brothers 
inherited the family home and estate. And both these men, they were both bachelors, but they were now financially secure for the rest of their lives. But the Collier brothers adopted a peculiar lifestyle, not at all consistent with the material status their inheritance gave them, John MacArthur goes on to say. They retired into almost total seclusion. They boarded up the windows of their house and barricaded the doors. And all the utilities, including water, were eventually shut off. No one was ever seen coming or going from the house except Langley on his occasional midnight trips for food. But from the outside, this multi-story mansion appeared empty. But on March 21st, 1947, police received an anonymous telephone tip that there was a dead man in the Collier house. Unable to force their way through the front door, authorities entered the house through a second story window. And inside they found Homer Collier's corpse. He was blind and he was paralyzed and he was starved to death. But this macabre scene was set against an equally grotesque backdrop. The brothers were hoarders. They had collected everything, but especially junk. And the house was crammed full of broken machinery, auto parts, boxes, appliances, folding chairs, musical instruments, rags, assorted odds and ends, and incredible heaps of old newspapers. Virtually all of it was worthless. Enormous mountains of debris blocked all entries. Investigators were forced to continue using the upstairs window for weeks while excavators worked to clear a path to the door. Nearly three weeks later, as workmen were still hauling heaps of refuse away, someone made a grisly discovery. Langley Collier's body, the brother, was buried beneath a pile of rubbish just feet away from where Homer had died. It seems Langley had been crushed to death in a crude booby trap he had built to guard his home from intruders. The garbage eventually removed from the Collier house totaled more than 140 tons. No one ever learned why the brothers were stockpiling their pathetic treasure, except an old friend of the family recalled that Langley once said he was saving the newspapers so Homer could catch up on world events once he regained his sight. Then MacArthur goes on to make a very astute observation. Now he says, Homer and Langley make a sad but a fitting parable of the way many people in the church live today. Although the Collier brothers' inheritance was sufficient for all of their needs, they lived instead in an unnecessary, self-imposed squalor. They cut themselves off from all everybody else and treated their inheritance as a, as, as a dump, carefully collecting and treasuring the world's garbage. And I think MacArthur is right. Too many Christians live their ways, live their spiritual lives in the same way as these brothers did. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says that, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. As Christians, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have the scriptures. 
that show us everything we need for life and godliness. And rather than enjoying Christ and enjoying all the effects of the gospel revealed to us in His Word, we supplement His Word and His truth with trash. And too many professing Christians, we spend our lives pointlessly filling our lives with perishable toys and empty worldly experiences. And most of it being worthless at the end of the day, in light of eternity. And some people pack themselves so full of these diversions that they can't find the door to the truth. The truth that would set them free. And they really, they forfeit treasure for trash. Just like these brothers did. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 declares... For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word has a way of exposing our hearts. It has a way of helping our hearts. It has a way of healing our hearts. And it helps to clear the cloud of sin, the trash around us. It helps us understand so that we can see clearly. But verse 13 reminds us, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now not reading the Bible makes us more likely to be deceived by Satan and his lies. Not reading the Bible makes us more likely to be deceived by the lies of this world. And by the deceitfulness of our own hearts. Let's remember, our hearts are desperately wicked. If we ignore God's word, if we refuse to read it, we replace it with trash. And if we read God's word, it increases our heart's desire for God. As the deer pants for the water, so does our soul long after Him. But are we thirsting after the water of the Word of God? Are we reading the Word of God? Many have referred to the Bible as God's love letter to us. Why would we not want to read His love letter? Because we, we have Netflix instead. when we do read the Bible, we grow in an understanding of who God is. We grow in an understanding of His character. We want to imitate that, emulate that in our own lives. We grow in our love for Him. And we mature in our faith if we are reading the Bible. Yesterday I got a letter from one of Pastor Doug Van Meter's daughters. Uh, many of you have met Pastor Doug. He came and preached at our missions conference a few years back. Uh, Doug was my pastor and he was my mentor in South Africa when I was a member of Breckenridge Baptist Church. But in this letter, 
Alison says, she says, Dear friends, my father is very sick. He has severe pancreatitis and he has been in a hospital for almost three weeks. Part of his lung has collapsed, which, has, which they drained three days ago. And he currently has two drains in and around his pancreas, draining the infected fluid and the dead tissue. Without morphine, he is in tremendous pain. But barring a miracle, he will be in the ICU for several weeks and then still hospitalized for several more. The situation is serious, with good days and really scary days ahead. And then she asks, she says, if you are a Christ follower, will you please pray to the Lord for my dad's healing, for his pain, for his hope, and for my mom? But then she says, my dad is clinging to Christ. But it is obviously still so hard for him to go through this. She says, God is in control even when we don't understand or we don't agree. And we submit, sometimes in tears and pain and fear, to what he has dealt us. Knowing that because we are in God's family, the suffering comes from his all-loving, all-wise, all-powerful, all-good, totally in control hand. Then she says, the Lord is good. When we don't feel it, we choose to believe what we know. And then she reminds us what we know. What's been revealed to us in Scripture. That the Lord is good. Now only someone who has been abiding in God's Word could write a letter like that. Only someone who has been reading the truths of the Bible knows God's character. Only someone who has been abiding in His Word knows that God is good. Only someone can respond like this in a time of crisis who has been reading the Scriptures. And this is my prayer for New Life Church this year. No doubt we will go through a time of crisis this year, this next year. If not all of us, some of us. And how are we going to respond? My prayer is that we will grow in our knowledge. That we will grow in our love for Christ. And that we will mature in our faith. So that we will not be deceived by the lies of Satan. That we will not believe that God is bad. That we will believe the truth. That He is good. We will not believe the lies of the world. That the world is better. That we can be satisfied in the pleasures of this world. That is my prayer. We will not believe those lies. We will not believe the deceitfulness of our own hearts. That we don't need God. That we are independent of God. My prayer is that we won't believe those lies. My prayer is that you will join me this year in finding the book and reading the book and most of all obeying the book. Won't you make intentional, systematic Bible reading one of your goals this new year? Remember the quote from John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Believe the truths of the Bible if you want to be satisfied in Him.
Psalm 119 verse 2 tells us, Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole hearts. Father, we pray that You would help us to seek You with our whole hearts this year. We pray, Lord, that we would be satisfied with You this year, Lord. Come what may. Father, we don't pray for hardship. But we know that is a result of us turning away from Your Word. We see it happen with Israel, Lord. They hadn't read Your Word for hundreds of years. They hadn't abided in Your Word for hundreds of years. They slowly turned to false gods. Somebody doesn't wake up one morning and decide to have an affair. It happens over days and weeks and months of moving away and away from you and away from your word. Father, please, we pray that we would be found in your word this year. Clinging to your word. Loving your word. Obeying your word. Resting in your word. Father, please show us that you are indeed our all-sufficient Savior. That we glorify you when we are most satisfied in you. Help us this year, Lord. In Jesus' name I ask for your glory and for our joy. Amen.